Welcome to another episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we are afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. Trending fears this week, the Democratic debate, who listened to Barry and who didn't. Soda leads to early death. Twitter CEO hacked. You're next. Dead Florida man found in lake by Google Earth. Fear Florida. Proof positive delivery drivers taste your food. And Barry's fear of the week? Suicide is up, and so are the bogus theories about why. That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Don't care what anybody else say. Oh, I don't need a budget cookie to tell me the way I'm feeling. Gonna be a good day. A good day. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode 16. I'm Alonzo Bowden here with Barry Security Blanket Glasner. Yeah, we're going to try a new one every week till something sticks. He is the world's foremost expert on fear. What's up, Barry? Let's see. What's up? I was on uh, Brian Steltler's show, which is called Reliable Sources on CNN. If anybody wants to see it, it's online now. You just uh, go on CNN and find it. Did you catch it? Yes. You look good in a suit. <laughs> and and you are you are a reliable source, unfortunately, we live in a time of unreliable and sketchy sources. I don't like it that you let everybody know I don't wear a suit <laughs> any other time. <laughs> Only for that. What have you been up to? Well, uh, the Family Feud people called, and we're doing it again in the end of October. So I'm going to host the live tour. Go to alonzoboden.com. I have the cities and the dates posted. And in a few weeks, I'll be in Denver doing my live stuff. So things are good. All right, and we're here in this podcast studio where I'm not wearing a tie because we're here to debunk fears. And why do we do that? Because life is too short to worry about so much stuff when really we're living in just about the safest times in human history. So keep sharing your fears with us, email us so that we can debunk them, and be sure to like us on the platform of your choice. That's right. We're on Twitter at FearNotOfficial. You can email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. And while you're there, once again, please subscribe and leave us some love. Let's get this started. Headline number one. New study links all soda to an early death. Here we go again, man. Something else that tastes good and it's going to off you. Do you ever drink soda? Once in a great while, I'll, I'll have a Coke and then they'll say, is Pepsi okay? And I'm like, is it really that bad that you have to ask me? I grew up on it, you know? Yeah, as a kid, I drank it a lot more. You know, I grew up in the South. You didn't drink soda, you didn't drink. The study that gave rise to all this was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which once again, serious place, we got to treat it seriously. 450,000 women and men, 10 European countries, they studied them for 16 years, and here's what they found. For artificially sweetened soda, if you drink two plus glasses a day, two or more in other words, that's associated with, quote, deaths from circulatory diseases, which means heart-related diseases. You're 26% more likely to die prematurely, if, according to this study, right? Now, the other kind, for regular sugary soda, one plus glass, one or more a day, is associated with, quote, death from digestive diseases of the liver, appendix, pancreas, and intestines. And you're also supposed to be 8% more likely to die prematurely. 
So that's a lot less, right? 26% artificial, uh, 8% more likely to die on the regular sugary kind. But there's a little good news, I guess, if you want to find a silver lining here. There was no link between uh, soft drink consumption and cancer rates or death from Alzheimer's. So you don't have to worry about that based on this study. I have friends who will read this and say, all right, no more rum and Coke. I'll just drink the rum. But I wonder when they say two glasses, and I don't think many people drink two sodas a day every day, but I guess people do. No, but, there are, yeah. But what size are those uh, sodas? Yeah, that's a good question. They used eight and a half ounces, which I guess for Europeans is the usual amount that they do in these kinds of uh, studies or that they drink anyway, right? Some bitch in Europe don't know how to drink Coke. This here America, we drink big up. 32-ounce <laughs> cup is a soda. Eight-ounce son bitch. <laughs> Let me tell you how this went down. The nutritionist at the University College of Dublin was uh, one of the researchers on this, and here's what she said, and I'm quoting, putting our results in context with other published studies, it would probably be prudent to limit consumption of all soft drinks and replace them with healthier alternatives like water. Uh, maybe. But this is the one I love. This is a guy named Seth Goldman, who's the chief executive of Honest Tea. And he said the study should prod big soda companies to introduce alternative beverages. Mm, maybe. But get, get ready for this. We looked up who owns Honest Tea? Coca-Cola. Everything you drink is made by either Coke or Pepsi. It's like you talk water, one owns Dasani, the other owns Aquafina. Yeah, well, that's a really good point because when some of these researchers and other health types suggest switching to water, that means a lot of sales for those companies. Yeah, they're, they're just going to sell you the water. All right, but in terms of the soda itself, there is an issue potentially, potentially, because we do have high obesity rates in this country, right? And according to the American Medical Association, about 40% of adults are obese. And some authorities point to sugar and soda as a leading culprit. Some even say it's the top culprit for this. The American Heart Association, they blame this obesity situation to a large extent on sweetened drinks. They say that they're the biggest source of added sugar in our diets. But remember, this study is also very much about artificially sweetened drinks. And the thing about that is there have been concerns about artificial sweeteners since the 1970s. Uh, anybody who's old enough probably remembers the saccharin scare. Lab studies found that large quantities of saccharin cause cancer in rats. I grew up in New York. They're trying to get cancer in their rats. <laughs> They've been, they actually have been injecting their rats with cancer, and their rats are like, nah, doesn't take. We're here to debunk things people don't really need to be afraid of. So let me dissect the actual research. The New York Times subheading reporting on this story read this way. Some scientists say it has significant flaws. So why are they printing it this way, right? Another scare story. In fact, the researchers themselves on this study, they said this, quote, elevated soft drink consumption may be a marker of an overall unhealthy lifestyle. Then they went on and they said that the study was, quote, unable to resolve a key question. Does consuming drinks sweetened with aspartame or saccharin harm your health? Or could it be that people who drink lots of diet Snapple or Sprite Zero lead a more unhealthy lifestyle to begin with? End of quote. 
I don't know about you, but I know people who order their Diet Coke with, uh, you know, a Big Mac and truffle fries and cheese. and Yeah, we, as, as Americans, I think it's been proven we have a pretty unhealthy lifestyle when it comes to eating. Here's a quote in the New York Times article from a researcher at the Harvard School of Public Health. Quote, maybe it's just that people with an increased risk of mortality, like those with obesity, are choosing to drink diet soda. But in the end, this doesn't solve their weight problem, and they still may die prematurely, to which, join me, duh. <laughs> Here's the real story about artificial sweeteners. We talked about the saccharin scare in the 70s. It was heavily researched, and drumroll, please... It was found to be safe for human consumption. People have been using it safely for 40-plus years. Even new chemical sweeteners like aspartame and sucralose, they've also been extensively studied. And according to the FDA, there's little evidence that they negatively impact human health. That's good to know. Also, you know, when they say die prematurely, like how long are you supposed to live? Yeah, seriously, I mean, it, the question becomes, you know, if you give up everything— Right. And then what's your quality of life? So you live four more years, but you've never tasted good food. You know, I always tell people, listen, when I die, there's going to be stuff wrong with me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd hate to die perfectly healthy. I want them to say, wow, it's a wonder he lived this long. This guy was a mess, you know? But remember what we said, Alonzo, about processed foods? It's a way for wealthier people who can afford fresh food to blame obesity on poor folks, okay? And the same is true here. It turns out that diet sodas do help some people lose weight. Research has shown that, including low-income people who don't have the time or money for fancy gyms or exercise classes or $20 salads. And one last thing, I really wish that before these reporters would file their stories, that they'd read each other's work. This started with an article in the Washington Post, but here's what another writer at the Washington Post, Tamar Haspel, said. Here's, she wrote this earlier this summer. In June, she said, quote, the nutrition community doesn't like diet soda, but the attitude in the nutrition community isn't just that they shouldn't drink soda, regular diet, it's that you shouldn't even want to drink soda. It's puritanical, holier than thou, and breathtakingly condescending. Amen. So, Barry, soda, diet or otherwise, fear or fear not? Fear not. Headline number two, hackers hit Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey in a SIM swap, and you're at risk too. So this one was sent to us by a listener in New York named Pat. It's from the New York Times, and I have to confess, before we got this story, I had only a vague idea about what a SIM swap was, but it definitely sounded scary, and apparently I'm at risk. Okay, so let me explain to you what all that means. What it means is that these hackers can call your provider, you know, whether it be Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T or whatever, and the hacker will have to wait on hold for 30 minutes just like you do. <laughs> but once they get in, they can tell them, hey, my name is, is Joe somebody. I'm switching my phone number to this SIM card. The cell phone provider switches it to the SIM card. That SIM card's owned by the hacker. Now they can go into your accounts, they can get your passwords, your social media, your banking, whatever's attached to your phone, they can get it. 
By the time you realize it, say it's 20 minutes later or an hour later, you realize your phone's not working. Well, they've had that much time to get into your accounts and and they're pros. So once they get in, they're not going to waste a lot of time. They're going to get in, take what they want, access to your money, access to your credit, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a real dangerous thing. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to hack the CEO of Twitter, <laughs> you know, that means they can do it with just about anybody. Obviously, whoever doing this has never actually bought a phone <laughs> because what happens is you have your old phone and your new phone. And I walk into the T-Mobile store and there's a kid there. He's like 14 and he's looking at me and either he gives me the blank look, right? Or you know, it's like, okay, do you have 18 forms of identification? I, I need to know. And then bring your mother, and she has to have identification with her. Oh, and also there's going to be a fee involved. It was hacked a few weeks ago by a group that called itself the Chuckle Squad. What they did after they got it is they tweeted racial and anti-Semitic slurs under his name. The tweets were up for as long as 20 minutes each. Twitter pointed the blame at Dorsey's cell carrier. By the way, I love the Chuckle Squad when I first read that, I thought it was a comedy club that I've worked in my past. <laughs> oh, I remember the old Chuckle Chuckle Squad. Yeah, it was right outside of Des Moines. The old Des Moines Chuckle Squad. We did that one from 96 to 99. We are completely on the same page with that. I just thought that was my favorite part of the whole story. But, you know, they, 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 they're very, very successful. They've attacked a number of celebrities. You know, a few weeks ago, they got Jessica Alba. They got the YouTube beauty vlogger James Charles. And they got the comedian King Batch. And after Batch tried to get AT&T to fix the problem, he took to Twitter and uh, he posted this angry video. All right, so I had the longest day today. Let's talk about AT&T and how your security is trash, okay? Because I protect everything I have with two-step verifications, um, passwords on passwords. My passwords are not easy. Someone said, oh, his password is probably King Batch. No, my shit was not King Batch. My shit had letters, uh, exclamation points, initials. And for my shit to get hacked, it was, it was an AT&T employee that switched my SIM card to his SIM card. And all the text messages went to his phone. He so could see everything I was typing in my phone. So when I changed my password, he saw what the fuck I changed it to. The store is closed, the customer service is trash. I was on the phone for hours just trying to figure this shit out and I couldn't get no help. So bottom line, you're trash, T-Mobile, holla at me, Sprint, holla at me, Verizon, holla at me, Metro PCS, don't holla at me. Give me a new phone or some shit, cause this is crazy. You just giving away my information for free? For free? What, next you gonna give away my album for free? It drops August 30th, by the way. Medicine album. Cop that shit. I like how he worked in the promo at the end. I admire <laughs> King Batch. The easiest way for hackers to do a SIM swap is to actually have an accomplice on the inside of the carrier. It makes it much easier. So hacking crews, in these cases, they'll pay off phone employees to do the switches for them. You know, it could be for as little as $100 for each phone number, according to some of these reports we have. And phone companies have been aware of this problem for years. What kind of phone do you have? That's a big thing with it, right? Because the there was something with the iPhones and switching SIM cards on an iPhone was more difficult than switching it on an Android. You know, that was one of the knocks against iPhones. And, and so then we had a whole technology thing. Yeah, but this isn't only about embarrassing tweets that are done under your account. A cryptocurrency investor this week claimed that a SIM swap resulted in the theft of $23.8 million worth of tokens. See, this is why it's important, because once the virtual currency, in this case, is moved to a new address, then the transaction can't be reversed. So 
This guy is suing his carrier, AT&T, for 10 times that amount. You probably have almost that many, right? I got about $6 billion in Bitcoin, and I forgot the password. So it's just floating <laughs> out there. I am. You're actually talking to a billionaire right now. Well, there's some good news for you in that regard, because American bank accounts have been less vulnerable to SIM swapping anyway. And that's because banks will generally reverse any criminal transaction. So if it happens, it ain't your problem. And you can take some steps, if you want to, to limit SIM swap attacks and the fallouts that those can cause if you're worried about them. Here's what experts in the field recommend. First, add a PIN to your phone accounts. Every major U.S. carrier offers you that option. And if you're worried about it, take them up on it. Check to see if your accounts support two-factor authentication via email rather than text. And if they do, then use that option. And then when crooks swap a SIM, they only get access to your phone number and to text messages. They don't get access to the login credentials for your email accounts. And listen, like with so many of these other things, there are some common sense solutions. Keep your sensitive information like banking and credit cards, your username on social media, and especially any uh, cryptocurrency. Keep all of those separate from the rest of your online identity. And if your phone suddenly does stop working or messages stop going through, either take it to your service provider right away or grab a friend's phone and just call them. The sooner you act on this, though, you're going to be better off. And then if they bribe Siri... <laughs> Barry, I'm, I'm afraid Siri knows everything. Good advice. Uh, easier said than done. Barry, SIM swap takeover. Fear or fear not? Fear not. And if you do fear, take these precautions that we talked about. Down in Florida, we welcome you to the Sunshine State. All right, Barry, here we go. It is time for Fear Florida. You know, every single week, I get reactions from listeners, email, people stop me at parties and things saying, Fear Florida is my favorite segment. And every time I look at them and I think, sure it is. That's the one Alonzo does. <laughs> no, no, Barry. This is the one Florida does. <laughs> All right. Florida does this. And here's your headline. Google Earth reveals remains of a man missing for 22 years in a Florida lake. So here we go. This comes from The Guardian. It took 22 years, but a missing man's remains were finally found thanks to someone who zoomed in on his former Florida neighborhood with Google satellite images and noticed a car submerged in a lake. It's clearly visible in this Google Earth satellite photo, the outlines of a submerged car on the bottom of a retention pond in Wellington, Florida. But for more than two decades, the residents of the Grand Isle community had no idea it was there and the answers it unlocked in a 22-year-old missing persons case. Police pulled the highly calcified vehicle from the lake and found the skeletal remains of William Moult inside. Moult was last seen on November 7, 1997 at a nightclub in Lantana, Florida. Around 9.30 p.m., he called his girlfriend to say he was heading home to Lake Worth, but he never made it home. The discovery of the white Saturn in late August was made by a local school board member who was using Google Earth to map bus routes. That's like, wow, <laughs> cars in a lake for 22 years. It's like, wow. <laughs> you just, you know, it's like that old Monty Python line, right? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right. You know what's weird to me about this? 
like with everything in the swamps and ponds in Florida, <laughs> the gators and so forth, like the, the gators didn't get this or it's so weird. Also, how is the car submerged that you could see it with a satellite, but nobody just walking by the pond noticed, you know, and it's a white car. <laughs> right. I don't notice the science of this. I'll tell you this. Forget about fear, Florida. Fear Google Earth satellites. <laughs> what are they finding? Man, they can see anything. They can see a, a body in a car underwater. From 1997. Are you kidding me? They're looking back in time? <laughs> you, you just, you fear Google is who you better fear. I, I didn't even mean to say that out loud. Hi, my name's Barry Glasner. Sorry, <laughs> Google. I didn't mean to insult you. Fear Florida. It's time for Barry's Fear of the Week. This is a subject I think we can all agree is timely and important. Yeah, it is. My Fear of the Week is the misinformation and misdirection in recent discussions about suicide. Suicide is a very serious topic. It's horrible for anybody who has known somebody who has committed suicide. There's been a whole lot in the news recently about suicide. Time Magazine this past June had this headline, U.S. suicide rate is the highest it's been since World War II. That article quotes the CDC. In 2017, 14 out of every 100,000 Americans died by suicide. That's a lot, 14 out of every 100,000 Americans. It's worse because that's a 33% increase since 1999. It's the highest age-adjusted suicide rate recorded in the U.S. since 1942. This article also quotes a researcher at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention who said this, I don't think there's something you can pinpoint, but I do think a period of increased stress and a lack of sense of security may be contributing. Yeah, it may be. But that's only one among a whole slew of theories for why the rates are going up. And here's the thing about this and why I want to talk about it. Most of these theories have little, if any, solid research behind them. And some of them add needless additional fear and confusion to what is already a confusing and upsetting situation. In a letter to the Journal of the American Medical Association, for example, a researcher at Harvard Medical School throws out three theories. Here they are. Social media. He says, we know that now it's used in younger ages and more intensively, and we also see some new apps that allow more anonymity, which in turn allows more bullying and more kids talking about suicide without their parents knowing. Let me just say that's a stretch to say the least. And what I really want to know whenever I hear another one of these explanations, when are people over age 49 going to stop blaming social media for everything that's bad these days? Well, don't forget the video games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have said that they're doing it too. But this researcher did have a couple of other explanations that are likelier possibilities. One of those is opioid use which he says has been shown to drive suicidal behavior among drug users and their children and families. And so recent high rates of drug abuse and overdose may be tied to rising suicide rates. And third, he says there's better reporting. Suicide is better reported and identified today than in years past, he says, and that's right. And people pay closer attention to mental health issues. Another recent study, this one from Ohio State University. Whoa, whoa, whoa Barry. 
from the Ohio State University. <laughs> exactly. The Ohio State University blamed the uptick on people living in rural areas, gunshot prevalence, and lack of insurance. And then there's a study published recently in Nature, which is a British scientific journal that found higher temperatures increase suicide rates in the U.S. and Mexico for every one degree centigrade increase in monthly average temperature, suicide rates rise 0.7% in U.S. counties and 2.1% in Mexican municipalities. You know, those again sound reasonable, but there isn't a ton of evidence behind them as a major explanation for suicide. And the theories go on and on a lot. So some people blame the increase in suicide rates on a larger proportion of veterans. Some blame it on deprivation and social fragmentation, especially in rural counties. There are just a lot of these explanations. Well, some of these make sense and some don't. The thing about temperature, and I, I forget exactly how the saying goes, but it's one of those things that both things are happening, but one isn't caused by the other. Correlation does not equal causation. There you go. That's why we have a scientist on the show. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. You know, the opioid thing, um, and, you know, as I said before, I'm in recovery. It's no secret. I've been in recovery a long time. When someone overdoses, that's not necessarily suicide. Right. It could be an, an accident. You know, and now with the fentanyl and everything else that is being mixed with the opioids that people are using, there's a lot of ac accidental deaths, right? Um, the gun thing, yeah, the gun thing I think is real only in the sense that there are a lot of people who make that decision and commit suicide in a moment that wouldn't do it if they didn't have the gun. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just a, a momentary decision. But suicide... It's very real. It's very tragic. We need to figure out what the big picture is, right? What are the, what, what's really pushing this? And what I mean by pushing this is, remember, what we're talking about is why have suicide rates gone up? We do know something about this, which is one reason I wanted to make it the fear of the week this week. Let's go back to that Ohio State study, the Ohio State University study. What happened? They looked at 453,577 suicides between 1999-2016 among people ages 25 to 64. That's a lot of suicides that they studied for a long period of time. They did find that suicide rates are higher in rural areas in the U.S. But guess what? Gun ownership is also higher in rural areas. In the study, though, they kind of write that off. Here's a quote from it. Perhaps it's not the presence of firearms per se, but something about rural life that leads to greater depression and suicidality. Alternatively, perhaps there's a character trait such as self-reliance or an inclination to go it alone that may be associated with both firearm ownership and suicide. And it's that trait, not the presence of the gun, that leads to the association. This is where I get off the train. I don't know about you. It's, it's like they're combining a whole bunch of things to, in my opinion, and we'll see it's more than an opinion, to push guns in the background. What does the evidence suggest? In homes with firearms, 86% of the suicides used firearms, 86%. But in the homes where there aren't firearms, only 6% of suicides used firearms. 
The data from the National Comorbidity Study indicates that people living in homes with guns are no more likely than those living in homes without guns to suffer from depression, substance use problems, and suicidal thoughts. Here's the crazy key statistic on all this. 85% of suicide attempts with a firearm are fatal. Use a firearm, you're probably going to succeed. That's a whole lot higher, 85%, than for nearly every other method. Many of the widely used suicide methods actually have fatality rates below 5%. So think about it. People who take pills or inhale car exhaust or use razors, they have time to reconsider mid-attempt and to summon help to be rescued. The method itself often fails even, by the way, in the absence of a rescue. But with a firearm, once the trigger is pulled, that's it. There's no turning back. And who has more guns per capita? Guess what? City folk or rural folk? Bingo. By state or region, for every age, for both genders, where there are more guns, there are more total suicides. There isn't a single cause for the increase in suicide rates. No, there's not. But clearly a main reason that we have more suicides now is because we have more guns. And almost anyone who wants to get a gun in America can easily get one. I'm just hearing the echo of the NRA coming up with some reason that this isn't true. It is funny that you said that about the guns working at 85%. It makes me think of something saying, some said in recovery, right? It says, if I don't drink, I won't get drunk, which sounds very simple, but it is true. You know, if, if I attempt suicide with a gun, it's going to work. If I start the car in the garage, I might change my mind. If, if I take pills, I might dial 911 and get, you know, get the stomach pumped and so on. But the gun, this is what I was talking about. In that moment, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get a second chance. You don't get to Redecide. It is. It is horrible. It relates to mental health in the sense of if you suffer from depression, do we stop you from buying a gun? And how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know because because they they would always argue. Well, I even though I suffer from depression, I'm still entitled to defend my house, right? I, I don't know, Barry. This is you. You sure picked a good one. You know, whatever we want to say about how to deal with this. There are a lot of ways to deal with this. We can talk about that some other time. But there's no ignoring this. The U.S. has the highest rate of firearm suicide of all 27 developed nations. This comes, by the way, from a Dr. Hemingway of the National Institute of Health. He also talks about how our kids have 10 times the gun suicide rate as kids in France and Australia and other countries. And by the way, uh, if it was video games or screen time that was to blame, guess what? <laughs> it wouldn't be very different between those countries. So what's the difference here? High rates of handguns, less regulation of firearms than in other developed countries. And we lack a national licensing and registration system that could go a long way uh, to dealing with this. We also don't have any national storage laws, which can help with uh, bringing down suicide rates too. And there are other factors like the large secondary market of uh, gun sales. So Alonzo, that's why I picked this as the fear of the week. And the bottom line is fear guns and how they affect suicide. Before we wrap this up for the week, we have an update. Last week was the third democratic debate and Barry spent some time, three hours to be exact, 
watching it with an eye for fear-mongering. I do my job for the podcast. You remember that episode I did when uh, you were out of town? Well, that was about the second Democratic debate, and in that one I concluded that the award for the most fear-mongering in the debate was a tie between Mayor Pete and CNN itself, and the award for least fear-mongering then went to Cory Booker. The third debate then was last week, and we have new winners and losers. First thing to be said is that there was a lot less fear-mongering this time. Uh, and in fact, in particular, our loser last time, Mayor Pete, got the message this time. Let's hear it. This is why come presidential on, debates on. are becoming unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah, this where, this where reminds everybody of what they cannot can I, stand about Washington. Scoring I, points against each other, poking I, at each other, and telling each other that, that you're my plan, your plan. Look, we all yeah, That's called a Democratic primary election. <laughs> Well, less fear-mongering, so that, that makes it even more boring. I think that's the fear. Of My fear is how boring can this get? It'd be nice if they had more policy or more something of substance to replace the fear-mongering. That's a good idea. You know, you can actually have drama without fear-mongering. But let's look at who won for the most fear-mongering in the debate. Listen to this. Direct question. You said middle-class families are going to pay less, but will middle-class taxes go up to pay for the program? Will middle-class taxes go up? Will private insurance be eliminated? Yep. ABC was right up there with CNN. And the least fear-mongering for this debate goes to, drumroll, Andrew Yang. Yeah, okay. Anybody who watched this debate or heard about it knows that Andrew Yang was rightly mocked for saying this. It's time to trust ourselves more than our politicians. That's why I'm going to do something unprecedented tonight. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families. Someone watching this at home right now. You know, you can buy your way into a debate. You can you can fix America. We'll just give out cash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I already gave one award for the biggest fearmonger in the debate. That was ABC. And here's the runner up. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If you qualify for Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? That's right. Julian Castro. Yeah, he wins. In fact, you don't even need to hear any more of the debate than that to see why he won. And Alonso, I hope the next debate is more interesting for you than this would have been. Yeah, I'm betting no. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. Time for a nightcap. Every week, Barry and his crack research team dig for a story that has gone viral. One that sounds so ridiculous that it can't be true. Or is it? And you get to guess if it's true or made up. So here we go. Quote, one in four delivery drivers admit to tasting your food before delivering it. Absolutely true. I believe it. I've seen clips of this. I've seen there was some guy was even he was like busted on video or something eating someone's food. Yeah, they're tasting it. So that's a yes for you, Alonzo. Absolute yes. NBC's Today Show asks this question. Is convenience worth it if delivery drivers are sampling diners' dinners? 
Delivery apps have proliferated lately. Fast food chains have taken advantage of third-party driver apps like Uber Eats and DoorDash to promote deals. Uh, Burger King offered 100 chicken nuggets for $10 with free delivery through Postmates. Chick-fil-A. Now, notice that. I learned how to pronounce it since last time. Chick-fil-A partnered with DoorDash in November 2018 to give away free sandwiches exclusively through the app. Now, there may be downsides to this convenience, though, which is what we're asking you to see. If Tell us if it's true or not. At least according to U.S. Foods, a restaurant food supplier and distributor, they recently commissioned a study of both consumers and delivery workers. They surveyed 1,500 adults who said that they've used food delivery apps. They also surveyed nearly 500 adults who identified as having worked as a deliverer for at least one food delivery app. And the responses were revealing. But here's the most interesting and, frankly, kind of gross finding. More than one out of four actually about 28% of the delivery drivers admitted to munching on food from an order. The Today Show said this, apparently the temptation of a delicious meal is just too hard to resist, especially when it's not yours. Ugh. Well, I believe this. Now, what I, what I would do is just order a little something extra for the driver. Okay, <laughs> so if you go to Chick-fil-A or Chick-fil-A, as we like to say... <laughs> Just order an extra chicken sandwich. If you if you know if you if you go into Burger King, just order a few extra nuggets. McDonald's people love the fries. Get a small fry on the side. Just get a little something extra and say, driver, munch on this. Here's some more of the facts from the story, or maybe facts. You got to decide. Seventeen percent of the customers said that a delivery driver left their food outside and didn't hand it to them. Now we know why. I think, right? No, I don't think it's that. I think you know. I was just having this conversation with somebody recently. I'm not sure how these apps work, but I don't think they're delivering just your food. I think the Uber Eats guy has three or four orders to drop off. So he's not going to sit there waiting for you to answer the door. He's going to knock or ring the doorbell once and then drop the food there and go deliver the next one. I don't think he's hiding the fact that he ate half of your fries. Could be, but remember, we had a fear Florida where that's exactly what happened. Yeah, but that's Florida, Barry. doesn't count. (laughs) Do you know what the customers in the survey said that they'd like restaurants to do about this? 85% of them said to invest in, quote, temper-evident labels. So that way you'll know if it was tampered with. That's a good idea. Put some kind of sticker on it. We do like Game of Thrones. <laughs> you just have the wax and the ring, and they once your bag is filled... They use their ring and seal it with wax. And if that wax seal is broken, you've been munching, haven't you? All right. What's your final call on this? True, false? True. Alonso, you said this is true. And you know what? It's true. Absolutely. Order them a chick full of chicken sandwich. Today is going to be a good day. Don't care what anybody else says. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. 
and we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone and Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is Tim Moore. Legal Beagles, Loeb and Loeb. Crack accountants are 10 key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.